0: Welcome to Beef and Forage Roundup with host Chantal McRae. This podcast is a production of Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives created to share information with farmers, producers, and agriculture enthusiasts and to showcase the important work that is happening at MBFI. Our podcasts drop on the first and third Wednesday of each month. We will be sharing information through interviews, general manager Mary Jane Orr, project leads for various projects, MBFI team members, speakers from our extension events, industry leaders, and industry suppliers. This podcast will dig deep into on-farm research and field testing practices related to beef cattle and forage production, and efficiency and sustainability of practice in the agricultural industry in Manitoba. We will be sharing information on upcoming training and workshops, field and farm demonstration tours, education materials and events at MBFI, as well as producer profiles from around the province and information on their own trials, challenges, innovation, and results. We encourage you to browse our social media accounts and website for links to more information on projects, upcoming events, and important deadlines. Information on our social accounts and website can be found following the show and in the show notes. As always, we encourage you to email us if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show at information at Dr. Joy Agnew grew up on a grain farm near Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, and earned her doctorate in egg bioengineering at the University of Saskatchewan. She joined Olds College of Agriculture and Technology in 2019, where she oversees the applied research portfolio and smart farm operations. Applied research at Olds College is focused on crop and livestock production, with a specialty in technology integration and data utilization to improve productivity and sustainability of food production. Joy also has a leadership role in the development of the college's smart egg ecosystem, bringing together the academic programming, applied research, strategic partnerships, smart farm operations and extension and communication activities to help the college meet its goal to be a leader in smart agriculture. In 2021, Joy was named one of Canada's top 50 most influential people In Canadian Ag by Canadian Western Agribition and has a passion for telling the story of Canadian agriculture. Joy's professional passions and strengths are at the intersection of agriculture, innovation, research, and teaching, allowing her to build and nurture high-performing teams and programs to accelerate the development and adoption of technologies and best practices to benefit the agricultural sector in Canada and beyond. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Joy Agnew, who is leading the Pan Canadian Smart Farm Network? Welcome to the podcast today, Joy. Thank you so much. Before we dive into information about the Pan Canadian Smart Farm Network, can you share a little bit about your history and background in agriculture and what led you to where you are today?
1: Yeah, it's 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 not an interesting journey, I guess, but it's it's one that's been rooted in agriculture my entire life. So I, I grew up on a on a farm in, I guess, North Central Saskatchewan. So I've just Always been involved in egg, you know. I was in 4-H growing up. Didn't really know what I wanted to do after graduating, so ended up going into agricultural engineering, which is uh, a unique discipline of engineering that actually no longer exists, unfortunately. Even though in this day and age, it's probably one that's should be high priority. So, and even then, I didn't know exactly how I was going to be utilizing that within the egg space, but quickly learned my passion for for research and and teaching related to you know engineering technology and agriculture. So my entire career has been focused on applied agricultural research. So after graduating with my PhD in ag engineering, I ended up at the Prairie Ag Machinery Institute for 10 years in in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, and did all kinds of work in many different areas of ag, including agronomy, waste to energy, equipment evaluations, the, the list goes on. And then from there, you know, took the the leap back over into Alberta to take part in this this new thing called a smart farm. At the time, I didn't even really know what a smart farm was, but it sounded pretty cool, and it was really about accelerating and helping helping farmers embrace technology and and utilize technology to to mitigate all kinds of challenges and risks of of food production. And it sounded like a pretty great opportunity because it it really combined my passions for for research, teaching, and agriculture. So it was it was a uh, a match made in heaven and I'm. it's been a, an incredible ride since then.
0: And that leads perfectly into my next question, which includes a bit of a quote. And I absolutely love this quote that you gave because it shares just how passionate you are about what you're doing. So in an article on the Canadian Agri-Food Automation and Intelligence Network website, you're quoted as saying, what I love about what I'm doing now is that I get the best of both worlds. Not only do we have about 60 projects wrapped up in the smart farm envelope, but i also work hands on with fantastic researchers teachers and students i'm engaged in research while supporting the teaching and training of the next generation this is my dream job tell me a little bit about your role at olds college and how you approach integrating research ag industry and teaching
1: yeah it's it's been it's been a, a moving target so to speak it wasn't really well defined when i got here right like what what is a smart farm how is a smart farm going to operate at a post secondary or how are we going to be able to leverage that to support teaching and learning and applied research? So I've been able to kind of map that out, which has been interesting and, and very fulfilling and, and challenging at the same time. But really what, what we're able to do now is is incorporate students in teaching and learning in pretty much every aspect of the, the applied research that we're doing. Most specifically, I guess, and most directly through the internships that we offer to Roughly 20 students per year we we are hiring, and the vast majority of those are Olds College students, because we have some pretty unique programming here at Olds College in the ag tech focus area, as well as ag business management, horticulture, land and, and water resources, like all the various tertiary components to, to ag and ag tech, and we can't find those skill sets anywhere else. So we do hire students out of various degree programs at universities as well, but we find the old college students are really well suited for the type of work we do in the research world. So these students are literally put into our research teams. They get the hands-on experience with our research teams and our research scientists throughout the life cycle of projects. And depending on their program and depending on on their skill level, sometimes they're even asked to lead some projects. So they get some really great experience on the research side. And then our, our teams work really well with faculty in showing them or giving them access to various data sets or pieces of information or experiences to bring into the classroom that really meld into the different course activities or labs or things that are going on right in the classroom. And that piece, I would say, is still a work in progress. We're still working on on figuring out how to really leverage and, and utilize everything we're learning on the smart farm from a project perspective into the classroom. But I've seen some great progress over the last couple of years on that. And we will continue to hire students, obviously, and bring them onto the research team. So they get that very unique experience as well. And I will say that it's been successful for us hiring students, because I would say even until this year, about half of the students that work with us as a student end up converting over into a full-time research technician or research associate role in some capacity, because our team is growing and we're always needing that, that very unique talent. And training them for four months or eight months through an internship is the perfect way to get them up to speed and hit the ground running once they convert to a full-time position.
0: That's such an amazing opportunity for those students.
1: Yeah, I think so. And a lot of them, even what we'll say that they they get a lot more out of it than they expected in the, the breadth of experience they get. They think they're going to be working in a certain area and they get pulled into like two or three or four other different projects that they don't even think, think they'll be interested in. And then they come out of the year saying, wow, that was the, the coolest experience for me over the summer was being involved in that project. So
0: that's really awesome. And I don't think I had this in the questions, but what year did the smart farm start? Yeah. So the smart farm
1: was officially established in 2018 it was in the works for a number of years before that, obviously, with all this very stakeholder engagement mm-hmm. and gap analysis that was done, but it was officially launched in 2018. The college had been operating a demonstration farm for over hundred years before that. So it's not like we just started a farm in 2018, but it was more intentionally positioned as, as a smart farm and an asset to be used for teaching and learning and applied research rather than operating it like a farm on a campus. It was a campus farm for teaching and learning and applied research. So it was launched in 2018. I think that first year we had maybe like one or two smart egg focused projects. And now, yeah, we're running more than 60 per year that are directly leveraging the smart farm asset, which is 3,600 acres now in two provinces, as well as 1,000 head capacity feedlot. We have a commercial cow calf herd. We have a purebred red hangers herd. And we have a sheep flock as well as part of that overall smart farm component. And then all kinds of technology related to like sensors and drones and autonomous vehicles and measurement equipment to measure anything and everything related to crop production, and livestock production, we are probably working with or, or have some experience with.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Getting to the basics of the project, what constitutes a smart farm and what is the history of the Olds College smart farm development? So the, the
1: question of what is a smart farm is an interesting one because nobody really knows for sure. Everyone kind of has their own definition of it. So the working definition that, that we utilize right now is a smart farm is any farm that is actively utilizing technologies, data, philosophies, or practices that improve their overall productivity and sustainability. So quite honestly, I would say like 96% of farms in Canada could be considered a smart farm because there's a significant amount of technology use and data use on farms already. But the smart farm concept within like our smart farm network and the more academic focused smart farms... Have that same requirement where it's it's an operating farm that is utilizing the latest in in technology and data and practices, but with a mandate to share information and to work with technology innovators in an unbiased way, and then share non-confidential information with with the public, so that everyone can be more aware of what's going on, what's coming down the pipe, what maybe works, what maybe doesn't in a in a Western Canadian setting. So smart farms within the smart farm network, for example, are those that have land base or have livestock assets or have have the ability to work with technology or work with new practices or adopt new practices, but then share that information with, with various stakeholders. So that's what differentiates smart farms within the smart farm network with you know, a, a commercial farm that is adopting a lot of good technologies and good practices. I think it's
0: interesting because I talked to Adrian LeVay and she kind of said the same thing. Nobody really has a definition for yeah. what a smart farm is, but I guess probably because it's so new, right? It's still within kind of five years of smart farms. It's
1: it's new, but at the same time, I'm frustrated that, okay, we've been doing this for like six years now. How do we not have like a, a universally accepted definition? <laughs> Maybe we right. have to be okay with that. I know Alberta Innovates has also put a lot of thought into defining what a smart farm is because they they really want to you know, figure out how to support smart farms. So they have a really detailed, very, very detailed well thought out definition, but it doesn't roll off the tongue very easily, <laughs> so that's why you know the mine about any farm using tech data or practices technically could be considered a smart farm
0: during the egg smart field day in August, one of the most measured fields in the world was highlighted. Can you share a little bit of background of that field and how it's being used
1: sure and I'll, and I'll say that our our statement that it's the most measured field is, is sort of like something we're tossing out there to see if anyone challenges on it, because it's not something that's easy to google to see if if it really is or not. But we are pretty, pretty confident that it is the most digitized piece of agricultural land on the planet, mainly because of the focus effort of the last five years to collect and collate and manage every single possible data layer that can be collected from from agricultural land. So using every commercially available tool, or sensor to map that field, including, and I'm gonna I'm gonna miss a whole bunch, but you know, the basic field boundary and topography and high resolution soil data from high density grid soil sampling over the course of a number of years. Of course, all of the imagery, drone imagery and satellite imagery throughout the growing season, and even before and after the growing season, multispectral and hyperspectral imagery as well, yield data obviously all as applied data, everything that is possible to collect from agricultural land, we are collecting and managing in a purpose-built database that allows us to store all that information in a way that's easily accessible and allows us to connect dots between layers that have never been connected before. As an example, we are able to map grain protein in that field as well as yield, right? So yield is coming off of a typical yield monitor, but we have an aftermarket protein monitor, on the combine as well that maps protein and so we can see protein variability within the field along with yield variability and our agronomist is looking at this saying "huh i've never been able to see like draw the correlation between areas of high yield and high protein before and maybe there's agronomic decisions that that can be made down the road to drive either high protein or low protein if there's a specific market for that so these are these are things like like i said connecting dots that have never really been connected before and that's one of about 150 examples that have come up in the last year alone about visualizing this data and seeing how things are overlapped and related to each other. So this was all done through our hyperlayer data project, as we call it. It was a project funded by CANE, by the Canadian Food Automation and Intelligence Network. And we had some key partners through BSF, Zarvio, as well as TELUS come on board, knowing the importance of having that kind of data set, because it's really turned into a training data set, so to speak, to really drive the development of new predictive algorithms or machine learning models, to relate things that farmers need to know in order to make in-season management decisions or management decisions in general with something that's relatively easy to measure. So you're not having to put a whole bunch of investment in high-density grid soil sampling, for example. That's not practical for every farmer to do, or maybe it's not practical to collect Four data layers when you only really need these two critical ones to tell you this specific information that you need about your field, then on the other side on the innovator support side, we now basically have a calibrated field where we know all of the actuals within that field, so if somebody is coming down the pipe with a new tech or tool or or way to do something like map topography or do field boundaries or infer soil moisture based on whatever we have an actual field, like we know the calibrated soil. So we can say, okay, let's test your idea in this field and we'll compare it to the actual. So it's, it's a pretty valuable tool and one that is yeah driving a lot of interest and one that is being leveraged quite well in the classroom because of the relatively easy access to all of that data.
0: That's amazing. Just mm-hmm. all of the things you've listed off. How big would that field be?
1: So it started out as 110 acres. So that, that's the one that has, we have all of the data layers. That's our core field. But we have expanded to collect many data layers, just not all of them, on a total of about 1,200 acres. That includes land within our smart farm, but also land at some of our partner sites, just mm-hmm. because our land base is, is relatively centralized here in, in central Alberta. So it's in a one specific soil zone and one specific growing region. So we wanted to collect multiple data layers from different growing regions. We expanded out and worked with some partner firms that way.
0: Neat. And is there kind of an ongoing goal to continue growing that database?
1: Yeah. And that, that's actually a really great question because we're, we're mapping that out right now is what, what does this look like beyond the Hyperlayer Data Project, which is coming to an end actually in the next six months or so. But we just, we see the tremendous value in this and this asset. So we need to map out its future to make sure we can maintain it at minimum but ideally continue to grow it because it's a pretty valuable asset that we get a lot of questions about how to access it.
0: I was reading the Olds College Smart Farm newsletter during my research for this episode. And in the June 2023 issue, it was discussing one of the applied research strategies on monitoring nitrous oxide emissions. This is very relevant and current in the egg sector. Can you share how the Smart Farm research team is working to predict the impact that changes in farming practices has on the carbon footprint of crop production? Yeah, this one's near and
1: dear to my heart, actually, because this goes back to my PhD research that is now like 20 years old, by just understanding the impact of different best practices on the the change in, in emissions, right? And actually measuring it. Not estimating or not modeling or or really quantifying what those emissions are. This obviously rose back to the surface of priorities with the government target to reduce fertilizer emissions by 30% by 2030, which is an audacious goal. And, you know, maybe one that definitely raises the question or the awareness around nitrogen use efficiency and best practices that can really enhance nitrogen use efficiency as much as possible which is good, but at the same time, how do we know if we've even reached a 30% emission reduction target if we don't have good numbers on, on actually quantifying how those practice changes might impact emissions? So that is an opportunity or a gap for Olds College to play a role in and fully understanding that there's a number of researchers at various universities that have been doing this for their entire careers for, for decades. So they are definitely the leading experts in this area, but there's, just, there's a need for more and more data Around how different practices impact nitrous oxide emissions in different soils or different cropping systems. There, there's so many different iterations or, or combinations of conditions that need data for. So we positioned ourselves as another resource or a source to collect more data in specifically in the central Alberta growing region. So we invested in some equipment called the Lycor Chamber system that is in real time monitoring soil fluxes, including nitrous oxide and carbon dioxide from the the soil surface itself. So our system is is designed for like small plot trials, but they can be used in in the field as well to get field scale results. And like I said, we we sort of put the call out and and position ourselves as saying, hey, we're a resource, utilize us. We don't want to lead this research ourselves, or we don't want to duplicate what's already been done at the various universities. But if you need another site with Alberta-specific conditions and Alberta-specific data, that's what we're here for. And so that call has been heard and and answered, and we are actually looking at collaborating with uh, a couple of universities starting the 2024 growing season, just to add to their their data set and look at actual nitrous oxide emissions and the impact of things like variable rate or enhanced efficiency fertilizers, or even placement of fertilizer or timing of fertilizer application. Basically, the four R's. We can evaluate that in the field and measure the actual emissions.
0: I always think it's so interesting because. The difference in farming from my grandparents era to now is huge. But then when I think about where we're going to be when we are grandparent aged, it just it blows my mind, like the things that are coming up that we never even thought possible 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Right. It's
1: exactly. And And that's what was so striking to me, knowing the types of equipment and the sensors and the technology I had available 20 years ago to do the research that I was doing versus what's available now we were able to collect more data in one day with this new system than I did in two and a half years of field research. Like that's just the, the ability now of like real-time monitoring in yeah. the field and in these automatic chambers. It was just mind-blowing. So if we think, okay, that's, that's what happened over the course of 20 years. So 20 mm-hmm. years from now, what are, what are we going to be able to do?
0: Yeah, it's amazing. And especially, I guess, for you as someone that's been studying this for Twenty years, like you say that, and that's just to me is mind blowing that in that short of window of time you can gather so much more information. Yeah, and that
1: degree of information or quantity of information is what's needed to really develop these tools and models that can mm-hmm. actually be used by farmers to say, okay, uh, this was this is my current state of practice, this is my current state of operations. I'm going to adopt this new practice in these conditions, and the models will then be able to estimate. that practice change will generate. We would never expect farmers to be measuring their actual emissions on farm. That's just never going to be practical or scalable. But the whole point of collecting this, this quantity of data is to refine the models that do exist and make sure that we can quantify and ideally reward the farmers for the practice changes that are resulting in significant footprint changes.
0: And I'll make sure that the link to that June 2023 Smart Farm Newsletter is included in the show notes. So if there's listeners who want to go and read more about that specifically, they can follow that link to there. Yes, do. And I will say that the
1: September Smart Farm Newsletter just came out last week. So okay. that one's also packed with with content and has some really great stories about, you know, just variability in field and updates on some of our ongoing projects as well.
0: Perfect. I'll maybe add then links for both of those in there. Further to this, are there any other applied research studies that you'd like to highlight that are ongoing at the Old College Smart Farm? There's so many
1: going on. And I know the projects that you've highlighted so far were very crops-focused, but definitely want listeners to understand that we do a lot of livestock-related research as well, and a lot of work on more climate-resilient farming, I guess, and technology-enabled practices like rotational grazing, cover cropping, more remote monitoring of herds just to better facilitate Use of different grazing land that might be a little bit further away from home. There's all kinds of really great work happening in that space already and cool technologies like virtual fences and various things that some work, some don't. So that's the value of the the smart farms is like we can try these things and we can we can fail or they can fail for us. They don't have to fail for you because they will have been proven out in a more low risk setting, I guess, like a, like a smart farm at a, at a post-secondary. So that's really the the value that these smart farms and the smart farm network bring to to the sector. So lots of really exciting work on, on livestock as well, and a lot of it is, is already very data enabled. Like I'm always blown away by the amount of data that already exists in the livestock sector around genetics and genetic performance around like feed efficiency and even carbon footprint efficiency, because there's the ability to measure on an animal by animal basis, feed efficiency and feed intake. And I'm probably using the wrong words because I'm not a livestock person, but you can drill back to the actual genetics and make genetic selections based on maximizing productivity and minimizing carbon footprint. And there's artificial intelligence tools out there to help monitor herd health and herd performance and their overall behavior, which is quite remarkable because it means You know, you don't always have to be boots on the ground monitoring. You can be monitoring remotely or beginning getting alerts that there's something that needs your attention in the pen or in the the pasture, which is quite amazing when when you think about it. And again, thinking about what was happening 20 years ago versus now and where we might be 20 years from now, it's, it's mind blowing.
0: I know as a livestock producer, my husband and I often have conversations about the virtual fencing and how many doors that could open for people in tough terrain to better utilize their grass or yeah the options that that's going to open up for people.
1: Yeah. I really yeah. hope we get there. It's mm-hmm. and it was, you know, virtual fencing was talked about even when I first came here 5 years ago and I thought, "Oh, this is really cool," but it's definitely harder to get to the point where it's it's reliable and it's and it's functional to be used in in our growing conditions. But I think we will get there sooner mm-hmm. rather than later, we're just not quite there yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And to use like for whole herd use and larger production, that would be, will be yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. How are students involved in the Olds College Smart Farm? So yeah, students are involved
1: right on the, on the research teams through various internships or, or summer student positions. Students are also hired directly onto the Smart Farm operations team. There's basically a like a research team that works with an operations team that is literally the boots on the ground team that is running our farm and making sure that all of the user groups are able to access the resources of the farm that they need and when they need. So there's there's students that are hired into those positions as well. So they're more right on the operational side. And then, yeah, students in the classroom are also able to access various, you know, data sets or case studies or actual problem solving as well. So our, our farm team will put forward a problem or a task, I guess, for students to tackle over the course of a term or a couple of weeks. Such as validating or verifying or updating our yardage costs, right? So looking at all of our actual costs of production or various costs associated with animal husbandry, and then you know estimating what is our actual yardage cost so that we can make sure that that is being covered appropriately. Or looking at you know making a decision: should we be looking at buying a new combine or looking at a looking at a used one? Like just making those basic decisions that are going to be happening on a farm anyway, but from the lens of a smart farm out of post-secondary, there's sometimes different things to consider when going through those business cases. And then there's actually students as of today, I believe even, and almost every day when school is in session and the snow hasn't flo- flown yet, they're out in the field. They are flying drones. They are collecting collecting data. They are operating a machine that is collecting soil organic matter, soil pH and soil EC, I think. So they, they actually, the students own this piece of equipment and they go and, and generate these maps for us on various fields. And for themselves as well. But we, we leverage that and are able to utilize that within the Hyperlayer Data Project. So students are like actually boots on the ground quite often, as well as in the classroom, looking at data and, and business cases and, and various other things that help the farm operate.
0: What a cool experience for students who are there to then be able to come home to their own farms and have all of that experience and that knowledge and just that drive of knowing the things that they know and how they can use them in practice.
1: We hope so, and we we hope that they are enabled to be able to utilize that knowledge on mm-hmm. their farm. One of the things we hear over and over again, and it's and it's worldwide actually, is the old guard is having a hard time letting go <laughs> and making decisions, and rightfully so, quite honestly, because it is there's a lot of risk in making decisions and changing the way that that you do things on farm, and the margins are so tight. You know, one bad year can can mm-hmm. be disastrous. So I, I understand the hesitancy, but I really hope that. Our students are able to go back to the farm, those that do go back to the farm and make strong cases for adopting different ways of doing things or, or utilizing technology in different ways.
0: How does smart egg benefit the agri-food industry as a whole?
1: My thought on that is, so when I'm, when I'm thinking about, you know, what is the real value proposition of, of technology? Because a lot of a lot of farmers are reluctant. They're like, well, it's just another shiny gadget or it's another tool or it's another thing that, you know, it's not really helping me. How's it helping me put money in my back pocket? The way the way I position it is it's all about managing risk. So farming is an incredibly risky business. And there's a lot of factors outside of farmers control. And I'm thinking, whether or fluctuating market conditions or disease pressures, et cetera, et cetera. There's not a whole lot that can control in those situations, but you can leverage technology to help mitigate those risks by making really solid evidence-based or data-based decisions. So there's a lot of gut feel in farming as well. I totally understand that, where you just sort of you know have a long history of knowledge. And you kind of know what's going to work, what's not going to, but technology and and data and data platforms can kind of help support that gut and help put some numbers or put some trends on a on a page so to speak and help make more evidence based decisions in season rather than just doing it like you've always done it or fully trusting your gut you have you have some actual solid data to help make decisions so it's it's all about managing risk
0: I was muted, but I was laughing when you said that because I feel like as a farmer, there's so many things that are not in our control. But yeah, but yeah, having that backing of the information and the technology to help you make some of those big decisions is exactly. huge. Building from the smart farm at Old College, why create the Pan Canadian Smart Farm Network? And how did this come into being? I
1: think the Pan-Canadian Smart Farm Network actually came into being or it was thought of around the same time that Smart Farm at Olds College was established, because it was very quickly seen that a smart farm is important and it's definitely needed for, you know, accelerating ag tech advancement. But there's so much diversity within within the Canadian ag sectors that one smart farm can't do it all. There, there needs to be multiple entities across the country and around the world, ideally, that have the same sort of mandate and ability to demonstrate, evaluate, validate, provide honest feedback to the tech developers and provide honest information and unbiased information to potential users about the potential value for these technologies on their farm. So we were positioning Olds College to do that here in central Alberta, but we, ne- we knew that there needed to be similar entities across the country to be able to cover off the different growing regions, different growing zones, different Egg sectors because we're focused on broad acre dry land, crop production and beef and sheep production which are big sectors here in alberta but what about dairy what about hog production what about poultry what about row crops what about irrigation what about greenhouse production like all of these things that we that we don't have the capacity to do right here in Olds, we knew there needed to be that eventually down the road for all of the innovators and users in those spaces so that's that's where the the smart farm network was first sort of visualized, saying, Well, what if there's a whole bunch of old-colored smart farms all over with covering every single growing region and every single kind of sector within within egg in, in Canada? And at the time, I would all admit that I was, even though I was I was in egg my entire career, I didn't really understand the diversity of egg in Canada until we started diving in and realizing how many gaps there were to fill with various smart farms, but that just made the challenge that much more appealing, right? Like let's let's try to cover every growing region and every every sector or as many as we can within the Smart Farm Network development phase, which is we're we're still in early days of setting up this this network. So we now have eight sites, eight active sites within the Pancan Smart Farm Network, covering four provinces now. So Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario. And as we're coming to the end of our development phase, I would say we, we definitely have a better understanding of how we can and should work together and what strengths each site brings to the table and what we need to do to fill out the gaps that currently exist within each of the existing sites, as well as the gaps within, like I said, all the growing regions and all the sectors not yet being covered. So we've we've done some tremendous work and I'm so grateful for all the sites coming, coming on board and bringing their enthusiasm. And bringing their passion and bringing their strengths to the table because it's a huge global grand challenge, right, of feeding a growing population with less environmental impact. So we, we are all in this together. We have to work together. And just finding ways to work together, I guess, is really what the Smart Farm Network is all about.
0: And is there any discussion at this point about having smart farms that are outside of Canada that you would also be working with?
1: Yes. Actually, I just came home from the UK visiting a number of smart farms in the UK for that exact purpose, is trying to understand the potential for a global smart farm network, which honestly has been has been discussed several times already. And there was some great work done out of UNE or the University of New England in Australia, because they, they were running a smart farm before we were even. We actually learned from them on how to set up a smart farm model. So they've been talking about the benefits or the potential for us, for a global smart farm network as well. So there's lots of interest and lots of potential players in that global smart farm network space. We just need to come together and figure out how to get some easy wins or early wins under our belts and and then see where see where things take us from there. so it was it was an incredibly rewarding trip to visit the the u k last week and see how they built out their model.
0: I feel like it's such a huge undertaking, but at the same time, like the, number of possibilities and opportunities yeah. that that could present is, is huge. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah. What is the preliminary purpose of the network and where would you like to see it develop in the coming years?
1: The The main purpose was to ensure that all ag tech innovators and entrepreneurs and, and developers and stakeholders had access to a smart farm that could help them basically. So within Within their region, within their growing zone, within their their sector of of interest, they would have a place to go to talk with some experts to maybe access some land or space for some validation testing or to access you know vendors or other other parts of the innovation ecosystem that they needed to move their idea forward. That was the initial sort of intention for the smart farm network. The development phase very much ended up being around how do we work together and how do we ensure that the various smart farms have the ability and understanding of how to work with partners, how to incorporate students, how to get information out, how to develop even ways of working around confidentiality or IP ownership and all of those types of things. And how do we access funding? How can we help all the different smart farm models access funding for their unique conditions or their unique operating environment? So that's really what the development phase ended up being. But longer term, as we go into what we're calling the acceleration phase, it's going to be about accelerating the the types of projects and number of projects that we're doing with innovators. so not not every smart farmer is going to be doing the same types of things all the time, right? They're going to be focused on their their unique areas of focus, but we're going to be sharing information with each other about best practices or protocols on how to evaluate this type of gadget or this type of practice or you know what did you learn about that or who are you working with on this in this area or what vendors are you using for this we want to maintain that network connection to help each other along but we're not necessarily going to be all doing the same projects all the time some projects it might make sense to do at multiple sites if a, a company is looking for penetration into the Canadian market but they need a whole bunch of Canadian relevant data across you know multiple growing regions then we might have a number of sites participate in a specific project just to give them access to that kind of coverage. So it really, honestly, the sky's the limit at this point when it comes to doing projects at a smart farm or smart farms within the network. We just uh, need to continue to work together because yeah, we're all in this together and there's there's more than enough questions to be asked and answered for everybody.
0: This whole conversation just makes me so excited for where you guys are going and what's going to happen and just how much it's going to grow from here. Makes me very excited for you. Where else are network smart farms located and how are they working collaboratively and individually in the context of the development phase?
1: Yeah. So we have three sites here in Alberta. So Olds College and Lakeland College were two of the, the core initial three sites. And again, we each have our own kind of like area specialty, right? So at Lakeland, they have the broadacre crop production, but they also have beef and bison and dairy production. Like I said, old's is broadacre dryland beef and sheep. And then we also have Lethbridge College joined as an expansion site earlier this year, and they bring irrigated crop production as well as greenhouse production to, to the table. In Saskatchewan, we have the University of Saskatchewan Livestock and Forest Centre of Excellence as one of our expansion sites, obviously very focused on beef production and, and forage production. And then our third core site is also located in Saskatchewan at uh, Discovery Farm Langham, just west of Saskatoon. So their model is a little bit different. They're not positioned at a post-secondary, obviously, although they are linked with SAS Polytech. But their main focus is on knowledge transfer and extension through their their huge show egg and motion. So that asset, I guess, is, is pretty valuable because part of our mandate is to get information out, right? But they also have a land base and they are doing projects with various companies and entities that are adding value to the network as well. Then in Manitoba, we have Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives, obviously focused on beef and forage production as well. But interested in all kinds of different aspects, um, as as you well know. And then Emily, so the Enterprise Machine Intelligence Learning Initiative, their innovation farm, is also part of the network, which is a really unique model, like and not not the same as, as anyone else within the network, where they are working at a commercial farm. So a 5,500 acre farm and incorporating projects and data collection within that working farm, which is a really, really great model and similar to some of the the models that we saw over in the UK, actually. So um, it was really great to have them come on board. And then our most recent site that joined in Ontario is Discovery Farm Woodstock site. So our most eastern and our most southern site. So different growing conditions entirely. So corn and soybean production, as well as some, some dairy at that facility. But similar to their sister site in Langham, very focused on the knowledge transfer and extension piece through Canada's outdoor farm show. So really exciting to get to know them a little bit better and start working with them.
0: So oh, cool. And very diverse. And all off the top of my head. <laughs> so yeah, I don't even have was... notes in front of me. <laughs> that was very well done. I thought you must have had notes. So nope. <laughs> nice work. Nope. With diverse focus areas, for example, cropping systems versus livestock production systems, um, what benefits do you see coming from the smart farms coming together?
1: It's, it's that coming together of the minds, I guess, or the meeting of the minds and and bouncing ideas off each other, like saying, Hey, this was our experience with this, or these are the trends that we're seeing. What are you seeing in your area? And that's why I say the next phase of a smart farm network we're calling the acceleration phase, because we can really accelerate our activities, but accelerate each other by helping each other and collaborating, because no point in reinventing the wheel or all of us learning things the hard way. We might as well add value to each other by by sharing what we know. It's not a competition the race to 2050 or the race to 2030 or whatever target we're trying to meet, we, we are all in this together and we need to work together if we're going to have any hope of meeting these targets. So it's just, it's all about, you know, that collaboration is accelerating and accelerating the development and, and adoption of egg technologies. It's actually a, a phrase that I've used carefully in the past, but I'm feeling more and more comfortable about it, that we don't really necessarily have an innovation problem in egg we have an adoption problem because the solutions that are being proposed aren't necessarily well fit to the problems. They don't really understand the problems that they're trying to solve. And sometimes they creating more problems than they, than they solve. So adoption is lagging for a good reason. And we need to figure that out. And I think smart farms have a pretty important role to play in that because it can help align or help innovators understand the problem. So their solutions are better, better fit and then help, share the right information with producers to get them over that hurdle of accepting the risk, I guess, or or de-risking their adoption so that we can really see some acceleration in the adoption of the right technologies and the right practices for their operation.
0: And that conversation rolls really well into my next question, which is what are some of the challenges in agriculture that are being addressed through this work?
1: Every challenge. So the challenge of climate change and what are, you know, more extreme weather events going to mean for crop and livestock producers. How can they mitigate that? How can they adopt different practices or or build in some flexibility into their ways of working and decision making so that it isn't as disruptive or isn't as devastating if there is an excessive drought or excessive rainfall or early frost or things like that? So it's it's all about making different decisions that are enabled by technology and, and data. So that's, like I said, it's not always exactly how you've always done it or your gut feel or what your chemical rep is telling you, right? It's it's evidence-based for your specific farm and your specific conditions. Yeah, it's navigating the the uncertainty. It's navigating the things that you have no control over in, in a way that mitigates risk. That's really what ag tech and, and data is all about.
0: And that kind of answers my next question too, but you maybe have more you want to expand on. How are you hoping this information will benefit farmers?
1: We want them to be comfortable in adopting new practices or new technologies by, by seeing it work in another similar growing condition or a similar farming operation to what, what they operate. It should never be a farmer is trying something for the first time in in that it's never been tried in their, in their region before that's what smart farms and the smart farm network should be facilitating or supporting. Here's a place to go to see how it worked in an unbiased way. What kind of benefit there might've been for that growing season. And then translate that to yours to say, Hey, this might work on my farm too, because of this, this, and this, or mine's going to be a little bit different from theirs, but you know, I'm going to go ask them or ask their insights or, Ask them their opinions, even about whether or not this will work for me. And that, again, is what's critical to adoption because if we if we look at historical adoption rates of technology or new practices, and I, I use this in a lot of my speaking notes or my slide decks, if you look at the adoption rate of conservation tillage, it was a thirty year process to get from zero percent adoption to eighty percent today. and there was there was a lot of knowledge transfer and extension happening there was some really great work done through the conservation learning centers there's really great work done just to get information and and help farmers get over that hurdle of doing something entirely differently than what they have been doing before but it still took 30 years so we have to look at that critically and say okay if we need to accelerate that if we need to get adoption of say for our nutrient stewardship from where it's currently at to 80 percent in 10 years what do we have to do differently and I, I don't have a good answer for that. I just, I hope that, or I think that smart farms will, will play an, an important role in that. But what information is needed? How does it need to get shared? When does it need to get shared? Those are all things that we're still sorting through, but at the same time, setting up the smart farm asset to be there, ready to deliver when we know exactly how and what we need to share in order to accelerate that, that adoption rate.
0: Is there a site where all of the smart farms have information and links that farmers can go to, and they can go to one website, find out information that's relevant to their specific farm or their growing conditions, and then go there rather than trying to go to each site's different websites?
1: Not quite yet, but that's definitely one of our aspirational goals. So we do have a Pankney Smart Farm Network website. So there is there is one landing spot to go see all the different areas of expertise within each of our smart farms. And then we do have some information right now on our common projects that we are working with various smart farm network sites. So, like I said, going forward, most smart farms are going to be doing their own thing. We're just going to be working together on best practices and ways of working and and things like that. But right now in this development phase, many of us are working together on a common project. So that project information is posted on the Pancane Smart Farm Network website. And specifically what we're looking at on those common projects is uh, disease risk assessment tools. Like kind of simplified things like where do you have to put your weather station to get reasonably accurate disease risk information? Does Can it be edge of the field? Does it have to be in the field? If it's in the field, does it have to be in a specific area of the field? Or what? what kind of information can we share with that? So that's one of the projects. And the other one is just starting, but it's looking at an Australian technology that captures quantifies and measures disease spores for real-time spore analysis and a disease risk assessment, which is a a pretty cool tool. And it could be a a really important one in the disease management decision-making process. So information on those projects is shared on the Pankane Smart Farm Network website. And then down the road, yeah, it would be great to just have either links or summaries right within that that landing page about all the different things going on all the different smart farms.
0: I'll make sure that that website is linked in our show notes so that if there's any listeners today who want more information they can head there and take a look at it. So like you've said you recently returned from touring facilities in the UK what are some similarities and differences in how egg technology is being applied and can you share any exciting developments or case studies that you would love to see here in Canada?
1: Oh, that's a big question. Because like I said, I just got back and it was four amazing days, action-packed filled days, lots of, lots of learning. I would say the biggest difference that I saw, and this is immediate, right? Like even from the plane flying in is just how farms look different. Their fields are quite like smaller and they're not, they're not the same shape. Like we're so used to the quarter sections and the sections in, in Western Canada, that it was just odd to see how the land is sort of delineated there. So it just, Everything looks different, right? And even their their crop types are different and they have, you know, the same species of livestock, but different different types and everything looks different. And yet talking to the to the farmers that we were fortunate enough to talk to that are part of the agri epicenter model, they all have the same challenges and main concerns as farmers here in Canada, right? It's it's all about cost of production, productivity, soil health, and animal welfare. Those are their four main things. They're also dealing with brexit and a few other you know interesting challenges, but they know that they have no control over that, so they are they are focused on their soil, their animals, uh, their cost of production and and overall productivity. so it's it's exactly the same main challenges that that they're facing just in a different environment and and everything looks a little and sounds a little bit differently. The other really interesting thing was you know seeing there are various summaries of all their projects they're working on and, and the different technologies and tools they're working with and how many we are also working with. So like the OnCombine protein analyzer, they've done, they've done work with that. Virtual fencing systems, they're, they're working with that over there. The bunks to measure individual animal feed intake and the chambers they have for measuring enteric emissions from animals on an animal-by-animal animal basis. Like there There's so many similarities in the types of technologies that they're working with might have a slightly different brand name on it or is a different innovator but it's the same concept even right down to the the cameras and artificial intelligence for behavior analysis and facial recognition it's all the same and it makes sense because they're trying to solve the same problems and the same challenges variable rate application of manure even is happening quite frequently over there but they also have the same challenge of not enough service providers being able to generate really you know the right degree of resolution of variable rate maps for them so there's they're starting to see a gap and a need for that kind of training and build out of those of those services as well the really impressive thing that you know they're they're definitely ahead of us on and this is what we brought back and and we're having conversations of how we can mimic or or take what what they're doing with innovators here is they have some amazing Connective tissue, I think, is the right word. Where they, you know, the Agri Epicenter, which is sort of the the equivalent of the Smart Farm Network, but far more advanced. Quite honestly, they're the sort of one stop shop or the single place for innovators and, and farmers to go to access the various pieces of expertise around the country. So that it's a one entity that is supporting the entire innovation ecosystem, and they even have incubator space they have access to accelerators and investments and academics at various universities as well as the the applied research specialists that are working with commercial farms so that if it's an already commercialized solution you can get better traction by by showcasing it at you know a top three percent farm to say hey if it's working on their farm it might work on on your farm as well it's just it's an amazing it's an amazing network that they have over there, and a lot for us to to learn from and try to emulate here.
0: Is there anything else that you want to share with listeners about this project or about the work that you're doing before we wrap up today?
1: Yeah, I do have to acknowledge the the funding support and the moral support from Cane, the Canadian AgriFood Automation and Intelligence Network. We were lucky to have Cane's. New CEO join us on that that UK tour, so he's able to see everything that's going on in the UK, and and we had some really great conversations about what the next iteration of the Pan Canadian Smart Farm Network can look like or should look like, and what Kane's role would be in that. So definitely want to want to thank Kane, and then all of the other partners and supporters for the Pan Canadian Smart Farm Network at each of the individual sites. So you know Metos Canada was instrumental in getting our first project up off the ground. Uh, UFA and and ATB are supporting our activities here at Olds College. Alberta Innovates has been an incredible supporter of this first iteration of the Smart Farm Network as well. And Glacier Farm Media, obviously, with the Glacier sites being involved in Ag in Motion and uh, Canada's Outdoor Farm Show. It's been a great learning, I guess, and it's exciting to see the momentum that we've built and how much more work we can do in order to be that really true integrator or connective tissue for for the ag tech innovation ecosystem like like we see in the UK and, and abroad.
0: And if listeners are wanting more information or they want to contact you, what is the best way to do so?
1: Through our website. So you can just Google Olds College Smart Farm and there's all kinds of resources on there for one. And my contact information is there as well. Email is probably the
0: best the best bet. Perfect, and I will add that website into the show notes as well. And I just want to say thank you so much for joining me for today. There is so much information, and I know we've really only kind of just brushed the surface of so many things. But I really appreciate you taking the time today to meet with us and and to share this on the podcast.
1: Thank you for the invite. It's a, it's one of my favorite topics to talk about. So I'll always take up any offer to talk about the smart farm and the smart farm network.
0: You are very welcome. The research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without funding from the province of Manitoba, Government of Canada, and the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as partnership with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Beef Producers, and Ducks Unlimited Canada. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beef and Forage Roundup. For more information on the on-farm projects or upcoming extension events, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at MB Beef and Forage. For full project reports and more information about MBFI, please visit our website, mbfi.ca. If you have feedback on the show, questions about content, are interested in becoming a project supporter, or want to submit a proposal for a research project topic, please email information at mbfi.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an upcoming episode. The research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without funding from the province of Manitoba, Government of Canada, and the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as partnership with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Beef Producers, and Ducks Unlimited Canada.